Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Through 12th graders are going to head out to their classes. And I get to invite all of us into just kind of a time of take a deep breath, let a deep breath out, release any distractions that you came in with. We're going to sing a song of reflection just to give you some space to prepare your hearts for what John's going to come and bring to us. We are starting a marriage series, and I know that when you even just say that, everybody is coming at this from very different places. You may be married happily. You may be married in a difficult season. You may be single. You may be divorced. You may be remarried and everything in between. So <laughs> it gets complicated. But we believe that God cares deeply about our relationships, about our marriages. And so I believe, we believe that God has something for every single person in here, whether you're married or not, whether it feels like a comfortable place that you're in or not. And so um, as we sing this song, I just want to invite you to kind of look inward, maybe do business in your own heart, whatever came up when I said we're starting a marriage series, (laughs) maybe talk to God about that and go, okay, Lord. Do I trust, I believe that you have something for me, even if I don't maybe connect with this topic or I don't think I'm going to. And maybe just leave those kind of doubts, those anxieties, those feelings of angst, those worries at the foot of Jesus and trust him. So we just want to give you space to do that. Because our lives are happening now. This is the life that we're living right now right in this moment, right exactly where you're at, exactly where God has put you, whether you're married or not. So let's lean into that. Okay with that. 
When Casey sent me that song this week, uh, I, uh, it took me a few days to listen to it, but when I did, I felt the weight of that lyric, uh, of those lyrics. Thank you so much for singing that. I'm not okay with that. We settle, and we're going to talk about, uh, over the next several weeks, this whole big idea. This series is called Naked. Turn to, your per turn to the person next to you and just say, it's about to get real this morning. It is about to get real. Genesis chapter 2 is where we get the foundational verse. But let me give you some housekeeping rules maybe for this series. Uh, because we just need to be reminded what happens uh, when we're sitting listening. So three housekeeping rules. Number one, if you're single or divorced, you're sitting here and you're going, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm not coming back. Um, actually, this may apply to you more than the people that are married in the audience. My life was actually changed the way I thought about marriage when I was in college and I grew up in a family that was filled with divorce. And then I hear a, a sermon series on marriage. And God gave me a new vision for what my life could be married and what marriage could be. And for those of you that are divorced, I have to say my thought bubble, the story I'm telling myself right now is there shame and guilt and oh gosh how do I talk about it without people that are sitting here going I'm on my third marriage feeling bad about it some of my best friends are on their third marriage so 
There's no shame here. Life is messy. God's dream for marriage is permanence. But let me just go on record and say God's dream for marriage is not. Natalie and I have been married for 35 years, but we never talk. We yell and scream at each other. But, man, we're sticking it out, but we hate each other. That, that is not the biblical dream for marriage. So I want to be clear about that, too. Genesis, so, oh, oh, let me give you the other housekeeping. Also, I, I love this. Our creative team came up with these. This is for my spouse. Some of you are sitting here, and I'm going to be speaking, and you're going to want to elbow, or you're going to be going, God, I wish my husband were here. No, 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 no. The rule is, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. This is for you. And then the third housekeeping rule is if you find yourself during this message saying, yes, but, dot, 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 I'm making a point. You go, yeah, but you don't know my story. Yeah, but you don't know my wife. Yeah, but you don't know. I want you to pause, and when you hear yourself say that, say, Lord, what, what is in this for me right now that I'm deflecting, defensive, resistant, rationalizing, justifying my story. Are you with me? Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. That's God's dream for marriage. What does that mean? Naked and not ashamed. Open, transparent feeling loved and accepted and supported and a sense of closeness and connectedness. Naked and not ashamed, I'm freed up, not covered up, not locked up. I'm not embarrassed to be known. I'm not afraid to be seen. I have this, this feeling of safety in the presence of my husband, my wife, Here's my hurt. Here's my guilt. Here's my insecurity. Here's my fear. Here's my struggle. Here's my brokenness. That I'm able to present it, share it. And on the other end, our arms wide open, not fingers pointed at me, right? That's God's dream. Mercy, grace prevailing in our homes so that intimacy and closeness can be experienced. But just like in the garden, something happens after the wedding day. It's called real life. <laughs> and we start covering up. We start hiding from each other because we get hurt. We make mistakes. We say something that stung. We feel abandoned, we feel neglected, um, and what happens? Now I don't feel safe, now I don't feel supported, I feel critiqued, condemned, judged, and now I'm afraid to be seen, afraid to be known, afraid to be vulnerable, I'm scared, I'm scarred, I've tried and it didn't change things, I opened up and I got stepped on. I shared my heart, and he just kept looking at his phone and didn't even hear me. I said, I'm sorry, but 
she won't forgive me. Not yet, not now, maybe not ever. And so what happens? We live as married singles. It starts to feel hopeless. We start feeling lonely, resentful, bitter, uh, tired of trying without experiencing a breakthrough. And then the thought bubble is, I didn't sign up for this. It shouldn't be this hard. And so then, and I love just some of the insights the creative team came up with this week. We drift apart as we avoid each other. That's actually what happens. We start avoiding each other. We avoid talking to each other about real stuff, hard stuff. And so then we have these coping mechanisms. And we were brainstorming, what are the coping mechanisms? What might be the the warning signs that you or that I are avoiding talking about that. And in a few weeks, we have Scott and Jamie Lassay are going to do a sermon on how do we talk about that? Whatever your that is, we all have a, a that, that taboo thing, whether it be money, sex, your, your family, your in-laws, your, whatever it is. But we all have a that, and, and, and we avoid each other because last time I brought it up, you blew up, and it, now it doesn't feel safe to bring up that taboo topic, so now we just avoid it. We don't talk about it. And so what do we do? We have coping, coping mechanisms, and so we escape from dealing with the hard stuff, and so... Rather than having a glass of wine, I have a bottle of wine. Rather than working 40 hours, I work 80 hours and stay at the office longer. I, work, I just I get on social media. I watch ESPN and Netflix. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm out every night with friends. Or there's excessive exercising. I'm not only going to the gym in the morning, I'm going at night. And it's this, but it's all about getting in shape, but... If I were to press deeper, maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's I don't want to be home and living with him or her. But this is how I survive. This is how I cope. And there's a kind of sadness that we live with. And God cares about where we live, about the season of marriage that you're in, that I'm in. I love this quote I read this week from Paul Tripp. He wrote the book, The Devotion, that many of you and I read, New Morning Mercies. But this came across an email this week, and, it, and here's the quote. Love requires hard work. Notice it doesn't say marriage requires hard work. We go, oh, yeah, marriage requires. But love, I wonder if you would agree with that. Love requires hard work. I think in our culture, people would say, no, no, no. If it's this hard, it's not love. Because love, we interpret it more as an emotion of a feeling, and I'm not feeling it anymore, so I'm, I don't love you anymore. And therefore, I have an exit strategy. I'm out when the kids graduate from high school because something has changed in here. But Paul Tripp, I love that love requires hard work. 
So when you're thinking about your wedding vow, for better or for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, and then you have this thought bubble, I didn't sign up for this. Love requires hard work. This is the for worse part that you did sign up for and I signed up for. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to have our, our scripture this morning. We're going to be basing this message out of this passage. I've paraphrased one word rather than it says a man. I, I replaced the word man for a couple. And so let me read this for us. It, it comes at the end of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew records this passage as well. So he's laid out this vision of what a new life looks like. That life can be different. You don't have to stay stuck to stay the same, to stay in this place anymore. There's hope. There's a new way to live if we will walk in the ways of Jesus. We say in this church every week or at least every month, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And so listen to what Jesus says to kind of summarize his teaching in the gospel uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a couple. It says a man, but I put the word couple in there for us this morning. They're like a couple building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on, say it with me, rock. When the flood came, notice it doesn't say if the flood comes, it says, when the flood came. Floods come into every marriage. Every marriage get, get, it gets flooded with conflict, misunderstandings, with hardship, with disillusionment, with we weren't expecting that. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Verse 49. But the one who hears, or the couple who hears my words and does not put them into practice. The couple who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a couple who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it, what? Collapsed. Collapsed and its destruction was complete. Two couples building a home. The outcome's different. The outcome's different. What's the variable? The foundation that they built their house on. I want you to think for a moment of a couple. In fact, I'll just pick on my wife and I. So let's just say Natalie and I just bought a piece of land we're going to build a house together. Her uncle's an architect, so she's going to use her uncle for the architect. But, but one of my close friends is also an architect, and so I'm going to use him. We're going to build a house together with different architects. How many of you would say that would be kind of stupid? Right? I mean, doesn't it make sense that if you're going to build a home... You're going to work off the same set of blueprints. You're going to use the same architect, right? And that's the big idea this morning. 
is God is the architect of marriage. And the blueprint is his word. And when we follow his word, not just hear it, but put it into practice, when we face the floods and the storms, we will not be shaken. So my question is, what is the foundation that you're building your marriage on? What is the foundation that you're building your marriage on? If you're single, if and when you get married someday, what will be your foundation? I think that building a strong and healthy marriage, it really requires a commitment to one thing. You know what it is? Believe in God. Nope. There's a lot of people that believe in God and have marriages that suck. There's a lot of people that believe in God and they're on their third marriage. That's not the answer. You know what it is? It's making more money. No, that's not it either. Money's the number one source of conflict in marriage today in America. No matter how much you have, sometimes the more you make, the more the conflict. So you know what it is? It's meeting at Westmont. That's the answer. If you meet at Westmont, that's the key to having a strong and healthy marriage, but that's not true either. The divorce rate at Westmont is the same or, or, or bigger than the national average. So what is it? It's having beautiful children that go to Stanford. That's what it is. No, but we all work and aim for that, right? But people still get divorced who have beautiful children and send them to Stanford. I don't know how they get in, but they do. In fact, when you figure that out, man, I don't know, how do you get, ever get into Stanford? So actually what it is is if you become a member at Ocean Hills Church, that's the secret. Actually, no, we've had people that have been in this church and they've gotten divorced and remarried and being a member of this church is not the secret. So it's reading your Bible. Isn't that what Jesus said? Read, read your Bible. Hear the word. If I read my Bible every morning at 6 a.m., I'm going to have a strong and healthy marriage. But that's not the right answer either. So what is it? I'm going to read it for you again. In fact, let's learn from the couple whose house collapses. Verse 49. They hear God's word, but they don't put it into practice. They hear God's word. They sit in church. They have their devotions. They're so religious, but they don't put it into practice. They don't put it into practice. But Jesus said in verse 47, and here, here's the secret. Here's the one thing that can change your marriage. Everyone who comes to me hears my words and puts them into practice. And it's making a shift from a horizontal marriage to a vertical marriage. Whoever comes to me, that means I'm pursuing Christ. I'm not worried about my wife, whether she is or not. I can't control my wife. I can't make her do that. I can only control myself. John, your responsibility is to pursue. Come to, come to Jesus. Open your life to him. Lord, speak to me. I want to hear you. Now, now he's speaking, and what am I doing? I'm responding. I'm obeying. I'm putting it into practice. 
And that's what it says. And here's, here's the thing. When we read God's word and when we reflect on it, it changes the way we think and then changes the way we act. Romans chapter 12. I want to share this verse with you, verse 2. I love this translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you and your marriage. <laughs> let God transform you into a new person. How? How's he going to do that? By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. And then what? Then you'll learn to know God's will, God's best for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this morning to let the word of God do the work of God in you right here, right now, by, by changing the way you think. Let the word of God change the way you think about him or her right now. Some of you, as you think about who you're married to, you think negative thoughts. It's all about what he's not doing. It's all about what, who she's becoming. She's changed. You know, people do. I've been married 35 years. People change. Hopefully they change. Hopefully I'm growing and becoming. And hopefully you are too. People do change. And I want to encourage you to change the way you think about marriage. And Jono is going to talk about expectations of a marriage next week. And I want you to come and I want you to take notes and think about, whoa, what are the unrealistic expectations that I'm bringing to my marriage? How about letting the Word of God change the way you think about love? Is love a feeling, an emotion? Or is it a choice, a verb, an action? It's something I do or something I feel. Well, Scripture says it's something we do. Agape love is that unconditional love. It's a choice I make, not based on my feelings, but based on responsiveness, knowing that God calls me to love this person that he's joined me together with. I want you to let God's word change the way you think about your future together. Is divorce an option? Do you have an exit strategy? What if you said, we're taking that off the table? I have a close friend, we were in a mentoring group, and that we, we, in, in our mentoring group, that topic came up, and a light bulb went on for him, and he went, I never thought about divorce not being an option. Like, it's always an option. I'm not saying I'm planning on it, but it's an option. And he said he went home, and he had a conversation with his wife, and he said, we decided... We're taking it off the table. We're going to figure out how to make this marriage thrive and flourish. We're going, to, we're going to fight for this relationship by doing the hard work that love requires. He changed the way he thought about marriage and divorce. And I know that there are some of you, here's your thought bubble. When the kids graduate from high school, I'm out. You have your exit strategy already planned. What about letting God's word change the way you think about money, about conflict, about sex, about life itself? Letting 
this be the blueprint. Okay. Let me, let me jump into the practical stuff here. Putting them into practice. A strong marriage isn't something that you find. It's something that you build. A strong marriage isn't something that one day you go, oh, I just happen to have a great marriage after. It doesn't work that way. You build it. It takes being intentional. It takes a commitment. Not to endure, oh, God, yeah, yeah, marriage. I'm, I'm still married. It's 30 years, but man. Kevin Lehman, he's kind of a family author and therapist. He wrote this. I thought this was really a compelling statement. The biggest lie you'll ever tell yourself is, I'm going to try to do that. There's no trying. There's either doing it or not doing it. Trying is a state of mind. The difference between trying and doing, the level of commitment. I'm going to, some of you are going to hear what I'm about to say and you're going to go, I'm going to try to do that. No. That's craziness. It's, I am going to do this with God's help, by God's grace. I am going to have a vertical marriage when I walk out of here. I'm going to say, God, I cannot do this without you. I can't. I can't. If I didn't have Jesus Christ in my life and living that fully surrendered life, I'd probably be on my 30th marriage. I mean, that's just the way I am. I'm not a committed guy. I'm life of the better offer. It's like, okay, I'm done with you. I'm off to the next one. I mean, but... There's something about commitment. It's God's way. It's God's will. It's God's dream. It's God's best. And that's part of the plan. You go through hard stuff, and, and you come on the, the other side of it, and you're closer and deeper and stronger, and, and you love each other more. You're growing together. It's powerful. I love that example of the triangle, right? You have two people. When you're both pursuing Jesus, look how you end up. You end up closer. But you can't be going, hey, you, you got to do, no, it doesn't work that way. Just take responsibility for yourself. I'm going to pursue Christ. I'm going to live a fully surrendered life. I'm going to put into practice what he says. So let me jump right to that right now. Four phrases in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Why don't you throw that verse on the screen? 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Let me read that again. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Four phrases. So I just had fun. This is one of the things you do when you're a communicator. You try and think of creative different ways to put a message together. I thought, let's use the acronym of the word rock. Building your home on a rock, Luke 6, that we read. That's the house that stands. So how do I build my, my marriage on the rock? There's a lot of ways. It's putting into practice what God's Word teaches. And God's Word teaches a lot. But I'm going to give you th those four phrases is what we're going to do. R-O-C-K. So love does not dishonor others. Think about that in marriage. The R word in, in the acronym rock means respect. Do you know the word respect? It literally means to value 
to honor and to hold another person in high regard. To value, to honor, to hold another person in high regard. If I'm spending my life trying to fix or change my wife, that's dishonoring and disrespectful. And so if I'm going to put into practice what God's word says, I am called to respect my wife, to accept her. To value our differences rather than change those differences. So here's my question to you. Am I accepting of our differences or am I trying to fix and change my spouse? We have uh, a mentor here this morning, Kurt Peterson. I saw him in here. Where is he? Kurt. Kurt and I worked together for 13 years at Montecito Covenant Church. Kurt gave a sermon on marriage, I, it was like 20 years ago, and I remember one phrase from the sermon that the Spirit of God pierced my heart, and this is what he said. Some of you have your spouses on a self-improvement program. <laughs> I've never forgot that, because I was like, that's me. Because I used to buy my wife Nikes every Christmas and this running outfit. And after 10 years of marriage, she said, I hate sweating. Quit buying me that stuff. <laughs> I wonder this morning if some of you have your spouse on a self-improvement program. Let's go to the O in this acronym ROCK. It's love is not self-seeking. Another way it's translated, love does not demand its own way. What's the O word for that? Outserve, outserve, outserve. Because why would I say that? Because the number one enemy of marriage is selfishness. If you want to destroy selfishness in your marriage, serve your spouse. Outserve your spouse without comparing, without keeping score, without measuring. I loaded the dishwasher five times. You only did it. Doesn't work when we do that. Jesus said, if you want to be great, become a servant of all. So let's just paraphrase that in marriage. You want to have a great marriage? Outserve your husband or your wife. Outserve them without measuring, without comparing. You know, there's a, an author writer, we quote him a lot in this church. His name's John Gottman. Natalie and I, on our 20th wedding anniversary, we went to a Gottman weekend retreat. And one of the things he said that just really stuck with me was he had two categories of marriage, the masters and the disasters. <laughs> the masters and the disasters. And this is what he said, after 20 years of marriage, the masters, they say yes to each other over 90% of the time. And the disasters, they say yes to each other less than 30% of the time. Hey, on your way out, can you take the trash? Oh, you saw it first. You do it. That doesn't work. You say, yes, of course I will. Hey, can I get some help? Yes. Hey, let's go for a walk. Yes. When we, ser we serve each other by saying yes to each other. And if you do that over 90% of the time, friends, you're going to grow a marriage that's strong and healthy. It's a way we combat selfishness. Love does not demand its own way. It, it's not self-seeking. 
We outserve. So respect, outserve, and then what? The C. It says love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. Here's the word, the C word, composure. Composure. What does that mean? It means that explosive rage, anger, fury. Think about road rage, home edition. <laughs> you might get your way. Those of you that have explosive anger issues, you get your way. But is it worth it? Now your spouse complies out of fear. Now your, your wife is walking on eggshells at home. Not safe. But I don't want to piss you off, so I'm just going to do what, 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 I don't want to get you mad. What kind of a marriage is that? You don't want that. I mean, power is seductive. It's great when people do what we tell them to do. But at what cost? This idea of composure has to do with your tone. Your tone. You can be angry, but do not sin. Right? And so here's the question. Am I creating a safe place for us to manage our conflict, or does my wife, does my husband feel like they're walking on eggshells around me in fear of my anger? Why don't you ask him? That'd be a gutsy move for some of you. Why don't you ask your wife or your husband today? Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells around me? Because I don't want to have that kind of marriage. I want to grow. I want to say, if you are, I'm sorry. I need to ask your forgiveness for that because I want you to feel safe. I want, I, I want to have that naked and not ashamed stuff that's real, that you would feel like we could really be transparent and honest. And that leads us to the, to the last phrase here. Love does not keep a record of wrong. I asked my friend Bruce in our Thursday small group, if you were to give somebody any bit of advice on marriage, what would it be? And he said, marry a forgiving wife. <laughs> and you know, Billy Graham's wife said that. She said, a happy marriage requires that you both become really good forgivers. So what's the K? Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. You don't just do it once. Forgiveness is a lifestyle, and it's biblical. This is what it means to put into practice. Put into practice. You build your life on the rock by respecting and outserving and staying composed, and you keep forgiving. And so here's my question for those of you this morning on this forgiveness stuff. Am I choosing to be resentful and live in a cold war? I had a friend tell me a couple weeks ago, Dude, I got a cold, I'm in a cold war at home. We haven't even talked for three days. And three days turns into three weeks for some people. And are you going to live with bitterness and resentment and be in a cold war? Am I, or am I going to choose to become a good forgiver? You know, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never, do you know the word? fails. Love never fails. Flip that upside down. Love always wins. 
if you live this way, if you put into practice, you build your life on the rock, you build your marriage on the rock, you respect each other, love does not dishonor others, you outserve, you're not selfish, you're composed, you're not easily angered, and you keep forgiving, you're going to face storms, but your home is going to stand firm. It won't be shaken. And that's just four little, we're going to talk over the next several weeks other ways that we put into practice. But we're going to stop. You might have been wondering what's on the front of the platform here. We have a bunch of rocks. Aren't we creative? <laughs> the worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in. Maybe we call it second worship today. A friend of mine, Simon, said, you know what, you know what, John? Singing after the sermon, you know, he goes, this is how I see it. When you're preaching and speaking, you're planting the seed. But second worship, those songs after the sermon, he says, that's watering that seed so it can bear fruit. That's the time for us to respond to what God is doing in our heart. That's the time to, to be saying, Lord, now what? You know, going out to the car after the message and go, well, how was Ireland today? And I give him a three or a four. That's the wrong response to this message. <laughs> the right question is, how did God speak to you this morning? Which of those four phrases, words, was it respect? Was it outserve? Was it composure? Or was it keeper? Which is the one for you today? that you need to put into practice so you can grow a stronger marriage? That's the question in the car ride home. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing, but we're going to invite you to come forward and to make a commitment to say, you know, over the next five weeks in this marriage series, I'm going to make an intentional choice to build my marriage on the rock. And you may be sitting with your husband or your wife. doesn't matter whether they come forward or not. You don't, you don't go, well, are we going together? Don't, no, no, no. This is about you making a decision. Don't go, you need to go up there and ride on that rock. <laughs> okay. And what you're going to do is you're going to come forward. We have uh, Sharpies up here. And you're going to write today's date on one side of the rock. What's today, the 10th? You might write 2-10-19 on one side. And then on the other side, you're going to write one of those four phrases. Respect, outserve composure, keep forgiving. Actually, you can write whatever you want on it. Maybe there's another issue that you, you, you have. And that's just for you. And then you, you're going to take that rock back with you. And then you're going to put it somewhere over the next month where you can see it. Maybe it's on your nightstand. Maybe it's in your car, in your purse. I don't know. But somewhere you look and go, today I'm making a commitment to move beyond just hearing the word. I hear it, but man, my, our marriage sucks. Okay, do something about it. Put into practice what God's word teaches. So write the date and then write something else. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And when you're ready, there's no pressure. But for those of you, you're ready. We got a lot of rocks up here. I want to thank Patrick Hall for doing all these. Patrick Hall cleaned, washed, and brought all these rocks this morning. Thank you. Father, right now, I pray that you would speak mightily, that as we respond to this message, you'd put in our heart 
what it is specifically you want us to put into practice. God, we would bind the evil one who would want us to stay in our seat and would want us just to stay stuck and stay the same. But today we're coming forward as an act of faith and as an act of love to say we're going to choose to build a vertical marriage to pursue you first and then to put into practice what we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, when you're ready, come forward and grab a rock and write on it.